So, okay, I'm healthy again. I'm gonna admit to the world, yes, I had COVID. It's my own fault. I was in Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee, Dollywood, Nashville. I had no choice but to come back with COVID, so. Mm. Welcome back, glad you're you're recovering. Glad to have you back on the show. Glad glad to have you back working on a bunch of different Star Trek products. Uh, So uh, may you continue to be healthy. I wish I'm I'm bursting. I wish I could tell everybody what's coming down the line. Jim, how have right. you done it? Actually, before we even ask that question, let's introduce ourselves for people who are listening or watching for the first time. I'm Michael Dismuth. I'm a blogger on continuing missions, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And we have with us the dynamic and amazing Jim Johnson. Jim Johnson, the uh, project manager and line editor for Star Trek Adventures role-playing game published by Modifius Entertainment. That's right. That's right. Um, this is episode 30, Jim. We've been what? at this over half a year. How? How did that happen? Because really? half a year. a lot to talk about. <laughs> Man, it doesn't feel like 30. Boy, this uh, time flies when you're having fun, I tell you. It, it's true. And and what I was about to say was, uh, you know, now, now that I get to work on some different products and see what's in the lineup, I have to ask you, you know, you have to give me some advice on how I keep my mouth shut because I'm bursting at the seams when I see people talking on social media and I'm like, uh-huh. so how do you do what are there any special mental techniques you use to? Uh, no, not really. I just, I just, uh, I mean, I, I love, I mean, you know this, I, I love this game so much and I'm having so much fun doing this game for the fans because I'm a fan. You're a fan. We're all fans, right? We're, we're doing it for the fans. We're doing it for the love. Mostly, I mean, sure, Modiphius is making money, but like, I'm not doing it for the money because, you know, it's the RPG industry. There's not that much money in the RPG industry as it is, right? Um, but uh, I'm just having, I just, you know, like I told you every day, I'm grateful to have been in the right place at the right time to do this job and to do it as well as I possibly can to bring really cool products to people. And uh, when, you know, like, I know, I know what we're you're working on and and um i know what the next two years looks like the two next two years plus looks like you know barring any you know knock on wood barring any surprises from paramount global or whatever about our license but uh, all things being equal like i know what the next two and a half years look like and i'm so excited about all of it and there are days michael like when i'm working late at night working on editing the books or whatever where i i want to just take a screenshot of my uh of my development board and just post that screenshot up online and just say, here, here it is, here, it's all coming. And get everybody excited about it. But I just have to temper, I have to temper myself and just like let it come out in drips and drabs and just let people, and I'll, I'll throw a little hints here and there from time to time. Or um, like lately, I'm really enjoying using the word yet. And 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 like the, the fan base just freaks out because it's like, oh, blah, 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 what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And uh, yeah, I'm not doing it to, to be mean or to be, you know, tricky or whatever. but. Uh, um now maybe, that I get to well, you know, what, now I'll, that you know, I get to peek under the curtain a little yeah. bit, I yeah. really 
will say though that um, Modifius and you and all the creatives you're working with are actually on the pulse of what people are asking for. So uh -huh. I'm not going to say exactly what those details are or what that pulse is. But mm -hmm. as I look at the social media chatter, the more chatter is, I'm sure it helps you out. You know, to to have market research like that, yeah. unofficial market research. But I sit there and I get giddy. I'm like, I'm like that woman on SNL. You know, the surprise woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel inside. So yeah. everybody keep chattering out there, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, don't don't take my don't take my comments online to too much to heart because, like, I know a lot of a lot of fans new to the game who are just like just now discovering the game, even five years into it. They'll they'll post on like the official forums on the Facebook group or something, and they'll say, "Oh, here's a wish list of things I want to see." And uh, and I'll look at that list and I'll I'll be like, well, we talked about that four years ago on this other on this other thread or this other forum, but uh, it, mentally I'm going, yep, check, 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 check. Uh, you know, we did that, we did that, we're doing that, we're doing that. That's coming, that's coming. And uh, of course, I don't, you know, I don't well, post. Well, that raises a that. good question for me. Now yeah. I'm going to have to ask this: Is yeah. there anything that back four years ago you were no, but then because of chatter, it became a yes? Uh, gosh, that's a great question, Michael. Um, yeah, marinate on that one because I, 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 I have, I have a feeling some things because I've been on board since 2017 as a player, mm -hmm. 2018 mm -hmm. watching it develop. Um, only the last year and a half have I had the privilege of uh, having stuff published by Modifius, yeah. but been doing continuing missions for four years, and there are things that I know people were begging for that are starting to come out now. And I'm like, Oh, cool. You know, was it at some point where you were like, there was pressure and it's like, okay, I guess we're going to bump this on, on your little whiteboard. We're going to put it up top as opposed <laughs> to leaving it down there, you know? Um, yeah. You know, and I, I would have to go back and look at my notes because I don't remember, but it, the, 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 the truth of the matter, and I know we've talked about this before is that, you know, coming into working for Modifius, I was such a huge Star Trek RPG fan and GM for, you know, however many decades or whatever, like I knew in my head what I wanted. I, I knew what products I wanted to see on my game table for my groups to play with. You know, I wanted the Starships book. I wanted other specific things. You know, I wanted the Quadrant book. I wanted the, the adventure supplements, et cetera. Like, so I, I knew in my head when, when they gave me this job, what I wanted to do. And we put that, we put together, like me and the development team, team we put together like a list of, I don't know, probably 60 or 70 products. Um, maybe 25 of which we were really, really sure we wanted to do. You know, this was four years ago, right? And yeah. then a bunch a bunch that we were like, okay, this sounds like a cool idea, but we're not sure why, what how what it looks like yet or what combination it looks like. And then we just started attacking the list, working our way down the list. And um, it just really kind of jived with what everybody else was asking for. And I, there are certain things that fans are asking for now that we just can't get to yet for a variety of reasons, but mostly because of uh, timing. Um, well, the ones that are creating a big buzz yeah. that I noticed are the Roll20 tiles, which you announced yeah. a couple of weeks back. And that that people had been asking for that for a long time. And I honestly yeah. didn't think it would ever get produced. Right. Um, um, and then the other one is, which was announced already, was Ut Utopia Planitia. People have been dying yeah. for a book of ships. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if back in 2017, 2018, it was kind of like, oh, I don't think we'll ever get there. And then, uh, and now we're there. That's what, like, that kind of was the basis yeah. of question so yeah i mean and that's the that's the challenge too right because back in 2017 we didn't know how long the license would i mean we knew how long the license would last as we knew how long but we didn't know how many times paramount cbs would would extend it right and, or give us a new contract or whatever and here we are six years into it and we're still cranking away 
and we're still you know checking stuff off the list of things that we want to do and, and like even with all the new series that are coming out we still haven't hit everything that's legacy right i mean we've still got tons of stuff that we can do with the legacy series that we just have not gotten to yet because there's just so much more to do and i think that's one of the challenges that fans have to recognize um and i think for the most part they get it but some of them yeah. don't it's like back in the day when fasa and um uh, uh last even last year uniform games when they were doing their books like it was a whole different world it was a whole different industry where it was cost effective to do a 96 page black and white book um with a cover and, and, and you know just throw it out there and I, I mean not to say that they didn't work hard on it but like it it's just it's it's not cost effective now for us to do a 96 page soft cover black and white book because that's not what the fans want the fans right. want the full hardcover full color you know complete presentation which i get because that's what i want too um, but it's just tricky because like I think we have enough freelancers on the team that we could probably crank out major products on a faster schedule. Maybe I, I have to figure... my own selfish reasons. Yeah, of course, is everyone needs to buy everything so that we keep getting new product. You know, I, I <laughs> yeah, I've been yeah, there. For, I've been there for the death of three different, you know, uh, other yeah. RPGs. And it's a very sad time when, when you don't have high quality product coming out. We could talk about this all day. I want to talk about, of course, today we're here uh, talking about what I think is actually one of the most controversial shows of all time of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, the discovery star trek discovery show and we know the book came out so for those of you who have the pdf that's cool but i'm going to let jim have a little opportunity with 2001 space odyssey uh, music <laughs> to, to rise up what he's showing off and keeps rubbing in my face oh i'm not rubbing it in your face I, I just... there's this is the uh, this is the collector's edition and uh I, I only got a hand on this, right? Because by virtue of the fact that I'm the project manager and they needed someone to look at the, pr- the print proof and they sent me the print proof. This is like the first time they actually sent me a print proof, which was pretty cool. Um, but uh, I... Uh, can I see how thick it is, by the way? Can, can you... Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, for those who are looking... It's not, it's not okay. as thick as the Shackleton book, but it's, uh, it's, it's bigger than literally everything else except the core books. Right. So if you take like the alpha and beta book and put them together, it's about this size. Okay. Uh, this is what, 230 pages, 228 pages, something like that. I mean, it turned into a very impressive tome. Yeah. And um, I don't remember cutting anything out of it. So I think everything we wrote ended up in here. But we really had to we really had to, you know, jigger it just right. But um, Stephanie, now I said it before. Oh, go yeah. ahead. You're no, talking about yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I'm saying it before, I'll say it again. Um, I don't have the hard copy, but I have the PDF. When yeah, I yeah. got the PDF, oh, yeah, actually, let's talk about the design of this first before we even go on there. <laughs> I, right? I didn't mean to, I didn't if mean you're to... really right, once again, everybody who, who's only listening, he's holding the book up to the camera as if he's shoving it in my face. <laughs> showing <laughs> so, Jim, go, go off on why you love the design. It really matches. It looks like the Game Master's Guide and the player's guide uh, collector editions. Talk to us about the design on this one. Yeah, so Ste- Stephanie Toro is one of the uh, in-house designers at uh, Modiphius, and she does just some brilliant, brilliant work on covers. She did the covers for the player's guide and the game master guide with that faux leatherette and the embossing and, and just the, the overall design work was fantastic. I thought they looked good in PDF. And I was like, holy cow, these are amazing. Like these are even more amazing than I expected because like you just can't appreciate those books when you're looking at a screen versus what you actually have it in hand. And like, for those of us who are like book aficionados, who just like a really well-crafted book, 
in hand. Like I, I've mostly transferred most of my fiction over to eBooks because it's so much more convenient. But like, there are days where I like a really well-made, you know, printed book. And uh, the yeah. player guide, the game master guide, hit that hit that right on my right on my wish list. And uh, I, I went back to Stephanie. I said, I want you to do the cover for for Discovery. And she came out and, and made a brilliant, brilliant cover. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. There's actually two tones of foil on here. There's silver foil on the ship itself, and then there's gold foil yeah. on the uh, on the Delta, which I thought was amazing. And um, she just did what a great job. Say? What is the back? Uh, the back is a uh, is Pike's Pike's quote: "Be brave, be bold, be courageous." Black alert. Awesome. And, uh, and then, of course, if you open it, it's the full uh, it's the full ship design, right? The top of the Discovery there. That's um, so cool. That's what I say when I, I slide into comic book conventions. I go black alert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is just a a great. I, I, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I mean, this is just a beautiful looking product, and I, I just can't wait to see when people like actually go into a convention or to a store and they're like, "What the heck is this?" And uh, I mean, obviously it's Star Trek, right? But you may not know it unless you look at the spine. But uh, well, people have been sending pictures of the Game Master's Guide, Player's Guide. I'm sure they'll, they'll start sending pictures of those either at home in the sunlight or on the rack at comic uh, shops and at gaming shops. They yeah. stand out. They look great. So. Yeah. Yeah, so just uh, you know, the, the exterior of the collector's edition looks great. I don't have the I don't have the uh, standard version in front of me. I know you've got yours handy, uh, but I thought uh, Tobias Richter did a great job on the cover oh, yeah. for the standard edition. Uh, he's always done a great work for us uh, over the years, and uh, he is you know starships and CGI is his uh, is his sweet spot, and he he delivered an awesome cover for us. Yeah, so uh, once again, I mean he he does them so, he does so many so well. Um, All right. So, anyway, so, enough, enough gonna, cover. <laughs> no, this is great. So what we're going to do, um, and, and, you know, before people shut this down, because maybe yeah. they don't like Discovery, I'm going to tell a story. I've told it a couple times. Discovery was not my favorite Star Trek show. Um, it's still not my favorite. I'm a Voyager fan. Uh, Strange mm -hmm. New Worlds is quickly creeping up on that. But um, uh, Star Trek Discovery was not my favorite. Um, when it came out, my head couldn't really wrap around it because I had my own opinion of what Star Trek is. Mm -hmm. um, then through talking to some of the younger generation or different people who were watching it for the first time, I put myself into Netflix binge watch mode. And, and I've said it before that Paramount released it one episode a week, which is really hard when it's cinematic and you should be binge watching it to understand it. It was the same problem Deep Space Nine had when it first came out, Deep Space Nine being more popular now in streaming than it was when it was on the air. Yep. So once I had the chance to sit down and watch it that way, I was like, oh, I get it now. But when this book came out, Jim, and I still didn't, it still wasn't my favorite. But when this book came out, as usual, I always go page by page through it and read it. I started watching the show again and using this as cliff notes so that someone popped up on screen. I was like, okay, what is this? Because it's even in timeline order. We'll talk about that. Yeah. All of a sudden, now that I understood, kind of like going to the Italian opera, Don Giovanni, if I have it, the, the, the notes, I can read what it's about. I look up, and even though it's in a different language, I understand it. This book was kind of played the same way for me. Um, so I mentioned that online, and we mentioned it in a couple of shows, and I've had people write back to me and say, oh, my God, you're right. They said, I'm, I have a whole new vantage point on discovery. So that's pretty remarkable to me that a gaming book can do that for the show. I don't know if that's ever happened before in your experience. Uh, I mean, I, I, I got such a limited amount of experience anyway. Uh, hard to say, hard to say, I don't know. But, you know, Michael, I, I'll be honest. Um, when, when Discovery first came out, I was, I was uncertain about it as well. 
like I was really excited that we had new Star Trek on on TV, right? Like, I mean, I'd been watching reruns and and first runs of uh, Next Gen and DS9 and Voyager and Enterprise for years and years and years. Loved them, loved them all, you know, for different reasons. But like Discovery came along and I was like, oh, this is new Trek. We haven't had new Trek on for a long time now. And uh, it took me a while to get into the show because like it was so different than what I was used to. And immediately, like the main characters, like, are we supposed to like her? Are we supposed to hate her? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And uh, and Lorca was very not Starfleet, and of course, we you know figured out why later. But it was just, it just didn't feel right. And uh, it was, I mean, it was really bold of them to start the series the way they did, right? With the with the with Burnham being a a, a mutineer right right from the get go, pretty much, and then getting into the war, um, and then the whole you know mirror universe and all that other stuff, but. Uh, what I was able to do, though, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, I don't know if I really like this storyline, but I, what I really liked was the setting. And I, I just love the setting. I love the concept of, like, it, okay, it's pre-original series, but it's after Enterprise. So it's in that, that kind of middle, that, like that second lost era where the, we don't really know a lot of, I mean, we know that the, thing, uh, the, the Federation and the Romulans have a war, and then there's just a bunch of nothing, and then Discovery, and then original series. Um, so I knew that, like, I, I was really interested in what they were going to do with the setting. Like, how do we get to original series? How do we get from Enterprise to original series? That's what really stuck with me. Um, and yeah. then, and then the, you know, the first season ended, and I was like, okay, that was that was interesting. I, I don't know that it really felt Star Trek to me. Uh, but then season two came out, and that just blew the doors off of it. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm 100 into this now. Yeah. Uh, mostly because of Pike and Spock and, uh, and, and Una. But uh, I mean, even then the, the discovery characters by that point had grown on me mm -hmm. and, and I, and I appreciated them better, but I'll tell you, Michael, working on this book and working with the writers and, uh, and like having to, having to take the developmental responsibility of doing the RPG in that time setting really gave me a whole new appreciation for it. And uh, I must've gone back and rewatched the first two seasons, like, I don't know, six or seven times just to get my head back into the game you know, literally to get my, this, this yeah. done. and my suggestion if if someone is tasked with the responsibility to write a star trek novel to yeah. write a star trek comic book a discovery comic book or even get assigned to be a writer or support writer on the tv show this mm -hmm. is your cliff notes this is this is the <laughs> the unofficial official encyclopedia yeah. of the tv show this is what i would use if i had a, that responsibility i apologize for interrupting um we should put an asterisk on this and put a sidebar here somewhere somehow i guess it's on video so we'll know we we need to do a video with a bunch of the writers from this book and talk about it i think probably once it actually hits the u.s shores here in another month or so once everybody gets their comp copies all the writers anyway get their comp copies we should have a bunch of people on uh, to talk about this like tilly and susan and uh, carlos and uh, some of the other folks because uh, they worked really hard on it and especially carlos carlos cisco is one of the writers uh, for the book. He also happens to be a staff writer for Discovery, right? Uh -oh. So he, he reached out to me, you know, year year and a half ago, and he's like, "Hey, I, you know, I'm I'm off. We're, we're taking a break from Discovery. We're in we're in hiatus or whatever. And uh, I know you're working on the Star Trek game, you know. So I got him involved in the game, and it's like, who better to work on the book than someone who's literally working on Discovery? Right? Brilliant! You never <laughs> told me that before. That is amazing. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought I. I, thought I oh my good No, that that because yeah. again, I think the connection. We've talked about it before, and then well, let's jump into breaking down this book and why what yeah. it covers and why people should um, <clears throat> might be curious about it. Is 
when we were talking about the discovery packs that we went over, yep. we went through the uh, command sciences and operations division. And really, we had talked about if you're a writer, this is your cheat sheet right here um, on on how to build plots and mission profiles. So so the fact that you're now saying like Carlos Cisco, which is, of course, a cool last name for even though it's spelled <laughs> differently. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the fact that he is actually a staff writer on Discovery and he participates in this. I know we have like Scott Pearson, of course, is the editor. He does all the Shyman Schuster stuff and Dayton Ward pops up in all over your books. Uh, all over the Modiphius line. So yeah. that really at, is a big add value to this. Very yeah, and, and, then, and then to your point where you were saying, you know, people should be, well, I mean, not should be, but if you're a Star Trek novelist or you're working on the, on the game or you're working on um, the series or anything like that, if you're working on anything Star Trek related, you could do a lot worse than picking up our books and using them as reference material, partly because we, we try so hard to stick to canon, right? We stick really, really, we adhere really close to the canon, probably because, you know, Paramount wants us to, but also because um, I think the, the design philosophy of this game is to not go too far off the, off the cuff, right? Like not, not, I mean, we do make up stuff and we do make up new situations and new species and other things, but we don't make a whole bunch of stuff up whole cloth and just kind of like throw it in there and say, okay, here you go. Um, yeah. Let the players do that, that. That's a bad thing, but but we we try to stay pretty much in a certain lane, and we we don't deviate from that too much. And a fan who's not super familiar with Star Trek, who doesn't have that fifty-five years of uh, backstory in their head, they should be able to pick up any one of our books and feel confident that what they're reading is pretty much what they're going to see on screen in, in an episode or something, without a whole lot of contradictions, um, unless something comes along later that we couldn't have possibly predicted that, you know, contradict something that we've written, right? We can't control that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I appreciate your comment that, uh, um, that you got a whole new appreciation for discovery, having read the book, uh, yeah, and mission accomplished right there. Right. And let's, let's talk why let's, let's go ahead and jump into it. Um, you know, there's of course the introductory chapters, um, which are fine, but I think what we'll do is, jump to chapter two. However, before I do that, you know, I'm a big celebrate. I celebrate the art of the book. So I'm going to share screen for those of you um, who can't see it. That's really too bad because I'm telling you right now, this had me hooked. So I'm going to go ahead and share a piece of art. Oh my goodness. Can, can we talk about the quality of art that we're looking at in this book here? I was blown away by these these, um, I mean, they look like oil paint. <laughs> excuse me, oil paintings. But I'm sure they're, you know, procreate or something. <laughs> I just started coughing. I'm, I'm choked up because it's so great. Sorry. Yeah, we got, we. I mean, we got fortunate in that we've got a great group of uh, artists. Oh, I should also, I, in relation to the artwork, this was the, um, this is the first book uh, in the Star Trek line where we, uh, we, uh, we hired. Um, a new art director, uh, uh, Ariel, Ariel Orea. Um, so Katya Thomas was our art director for a long time. And uh, after she did a lot of work on, um, what was it? The, she did, She worked on the Shackleton book and then she worked on the Dune, um, the Dune core book and, and got the whole Dune line up and running with artwork. Uh, she decided to uh, to go back to school and she, she moved on to other um, horizons. So um, we are grateful, you know, I'm grateful that she was part of Medicus for so long. Uh, but we had to, you know, get new art directors, and so we brought on uh, Ariel, and so he kind of led the art direction for this book in terms of like getting the art briefs and stuff together. And he and I uh, worked together on this book, and uh, like part of it was, you know, just working together on the art. He found a lot of great artists, 
we also had, uh, of course, because we are licensees of um, uh, Paramount CBS, Viacom, whatever you want to call them these days, Paramount Global, sorry. Um, we have access to their art archives, right? They have a lot of great art, a lot of uh, great promotional art that they've used over the years for Discovery and the other series. And so we were able to drop some of that in here too. Uh, so um, high quality detailed art. Yeah, it just blew me so away. Similar, similar to what was in the Discover pack, but this one takes yeah. it up a notch. That, so that, that's one thing, again, for the book as an art book, you know, especially if you get the collector's edition, it's nice to have mm -hmm. uh, that art. All right. So one of the first chapters we have is about the state of the galaxy. You mentioned that we're in this weird, awkward time period. Uh, not awkward. We're in this previously unwritten time period. Um, and talk to us about the state of the galaxy chapter. Yeah. So this uh, this was written by a bunch of different folks. Uh, uh, Tilly and Susan Bridges kind of kicked it off. They wrote most of the first uh, the first chunk of the chapter here, along with the timeline. And um, I, I really I don't want to say challenge, but but like my my uh, directive to them because you know directors are thinking star trek adventures right <laughs> i said okay this chapter what we need to do this chapter is we need to provide a bridge from the end of enterprise all the way up to the original series so we have to we have to explain we have to justify everything that happens in, in the franchise and make it make a sense and fit discovery in there and, and so it had to be kind of like a history lesson for people who aren't that familiar with star trek and people who didn't like discovery because i wanted to show that there was more to discovery than just the story of the characters that were shown on screen, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff going on behind them and, and, and in and around whatever discovery is up to week after week. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening in the, in the setting, right? And I said that, so this chapter, you know, in, you know, 10 pages, 15 pages, whatever, we've got to condense yeah. all that down and we've got to make it make sense. And well, let me uh, tell I, you my experience. That yeah, here, so, so I, because it was spaced out, you know, episode by episode, sometimes with time jumps. And then between each season, there were gaps of time. Mm -hmm. I, I really had got gotten lost. So on page 12 and 13, there's a timeline of key events. And so as I started rewatching the seasons, I had this there and it right away helped me appreciate, oh, there's gaps in time. The characters are growing, you know, between the first, when Michael Burnham was a fugitive in the first season there was a gap of six months in that show which is something you never really saw before on star trek and it was i thought it was the next week you know not knowing not being able to pay attention to that so just for a tool the timeline of key events that was developed there was really helpful to me yeah good good yeah so anyway um absolutely uh i really wanted that in there just to help give people a roadmap of what's happened and and they even they even wrote the chapter kind of step-by-step step from end of enterprise all the way through discovery. And I think if you're watching the show while you're reading the book, like you did, um, or if you just want to get an overview of what happened in the series without actually watching the show, I think this chapter will do it for you. And even if you don't want to watch discovery, this should give you enough material to, to run a campaign or run a, run an adventure in this time period, you know, Definitely. And, and when you're looking in the same chapter where it lists all the planets that are in the Federation at that time, or even yeah. if you go to the Klingon Empire and it talks about its history and its key places. Again, I, I was pausing the show and looking up the planet, reading the details about the Ba'ul, whatever mm -hmm. it was. And then I was going back to the show and then, OK, I, I did watch this the first time. I completely forgot that. Mm -hmm. And now I could focus now that I knew the story. Um, I could really focus on that character development, which I thought yeah. was interesting. 
again, not every character is my favorite, but my some of my favorite characters of Star Trek of all time, like Philippa and Jet Reno, are on the show. So um, mm-hmm. I really appreciated their write-ups, you know. And- yeah, yeah. One of the things I appreciate about uh, this uh, this whole chapter chapter one is um, we really tried to, or I, I I guess we whatever the team collectively tried to make sure that we put in a lot of um, useful sidebars for the game master and the players to be like, okay. Here's this portion of, of you know the timeline. Here's how to use it in the game. Here's here's some ideas to think about. And so even in the first ten pages or something, we're already giving players and game masters here's some key you know do this you know think about this think about this. And we haven't really done that a lot in some of our previous books, but I thought for this one being a really like true campaign guide, I thought it was a good opportunity to do it. So uh, I'm curious to see what fans think of it once they start getting you know getting into it. Um, well, it so worked. I wanted to give you tools as soon as possible you know, to, to play with. Well, when I when I get any book, because you can't play every era at once, and we play post, <laughs> post I wish, yeah. If I if I didn't, <laughs> if I'd like to, if I'd like to sit on a shopping cart and play this game all day, I guess I could. But if 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 I I play post Voyager era with our 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 team, with my team, with the crew, with my friends, and. I like looking at books like this and finding stuff that I can incorporate. And, and one of the things on page 35, which I had never seen before, was the Vulcan logic extremists. And oh, yeah. this came out enough time for me to use them to terrorize my group for the last two episodes of our season four campaign. Mm-hmm. So, again, you get a lot of back history on things that are mentioned in TNG or other shows they pulled it all together. These things were mentioned over four seasons of discovery, three seasons of discovery, or yeah. this is based off two seasons of discovery, actually. So things that were mentioned over two seasons of discovery are pulled together into a handy glossary. So um, I found that helpful. You also yeah. find stuff in here like Klingon intelligence, any new, the new Edenites. So these are new planets that were introduced in the show. Um, and then just the state of the politics, whether it's pirates or the Cardassian Republic, Kelpians, Ba'ul, this is the ultimate glossary on Discovery season one and two. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, we, we did try, it's not just Discovery season one and two. We also tried to spread that timeline back and forth a little bit, right? So it's also, you know, some of the stuff that was happening even before Discovery. So like we're talking the early 2200s uh, of, the, of the franchise's timeline. And then even that little tiny bit of time between, Dis- uh, between Discovery season two and Strange New Worlds, right? There's not a lot of gap there. Of course, we didn't know Strange New Worlds was coming, right. you know, back a few years ago but uh and we didn't know what was going to happen right i mean here we are uh end of june and we still got two episodes to go and we're still not still know what's going to happen but uh um yeah anyway so uh that's good a lot of content in here yeah you bring a good point because chapter two you know focuses on the federation klingon war and if you go chronologically from what was on tv before discovery you first have enterprise and you have the interactions with klingons then but then all of a sudden you jump to the original series and the Klingons are this formidable empire. You don't really see in between what created such animosity. And so I appreciated that there's this whole focus on that Federation Klingon war in chapter two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is almost entirely Carlos uh, Cisco uh, who wrote this chapter on the Fed Klingon war. I thought, you know, what, what better person to do it. And uh, he, uh, he was able to, uh, to, uh, uh, talked to the producers about certain questions and got some answers and was able to really dig into some deep into some into some great insights into like some of the different houses like what were some of the different houses up to like the like all the different Klingon houses uh, 
making them tick. And there were some, you know, internal notes that uh, he was able to tap into and adapt for use in the book, which I thought was just an amazing bit of uh, kind of like behind the scenes knowledge that he was able to incorporate into here, uh, which I thought was, you know, just really adds a lot to it. So I thought that was really cool. And well, he dropped, dropped in some great sidebars too about uh, role playing in the Cold War and, um, you know, it just adding more content to the Klingons that we weren't able to put into the Klingon book because, of course, the Klingon Core book, uh, we were developing that before we got the license to do Discovery stuff. Wow. Well, there's, there's some deep stuff in here because one thing, I don't know how I missed it. Again, it had been out. I'd seen the episodes probably twice before I got this book. Starbase One, the fact that there were 80,000 people lost in the Starbase. I'm like, how did I miss this? And I went and found the episode. <laughs> You'd think it would have been a bigger explosive episode and it's really not you know it's not really shown on screen extensively yeah. but it's kind of like a super important event so now i'm all of a sudden thinking well that's why they are they don't get along with klingon so much yeah. if eighty thousand people died in one attack you had you had to know somebody who was on that station right yeah, yeah. and that's the that's the tricky thing i talked to my writers about and uh, even you know myself i have to remind myself that it's not enough to look at online resources for all of your information, like you've got to watch the show because yep. that, that kind of thing about Starbase One with 80,000 people, like that, that is so subtle and they don't spend a lot of time focusing on it, but it's kind of, it's almost a blink and you miss it. And it's a really important piece of information. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we had to put that in here, but it was like, man, if, you, if you're not paying attention and you're not watching the shows and you're not taking voluminous notes while you're watching the episodes just to get all that data in your head, you're just missing out. And uh, like I know Nathan Dowdell, just did a ton of research on Star Trek when he was developing the core book. And, uh, and I try to take that philosophy to heart every time I work on one of these books, I, I try to hit the, as many episodes as I can in the time that I've got. And, uh, you know, I, I can't force my writers to do that, but I know a lot of my writers, including you and uh, the other folks are watching the show all the time too. Right. And we're just lucky to be in a world now where like all Star Trek is available all the time. You know, it's, it's all streaming now. I mean, I, I prefer the discs because, uh, I'm a little skeptical of uh, uh, streaming services going away and me losing all my purchases. <laughs> but uh, but to, to be able to queue up an episode and, and like, oh, there's a scene in my head. I need to put that scene in the book, but I need to rewatch re the scene and get the dialogue right or just you know get the context right. It's uh, it's a godsend to be able to uh, just pull up those episodes and watch them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, dig I digress. No, no, that's funny. I was, I was trying to find some sort of comparison of your fear of streaming services to some other <laughs> technology in the past hundred years, but I couldn't do it. So I was hoping you'd talk longer until I could come up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. So again, a lot of good details about the Klingon Federation War in here. Okay, time moves on. So again, I love that this is in chronological order so I can put it together mm -hmm. in my mind. It goes into post-war. And of course, we know the big deal of season two, this mysterious red angel. Um, I have to comment on the art again. The art, if you look at it, I'm going to go ahead and pull up a, a screen share of it. I think we all love Linus, right? He's one of our favorite characters on the show. And so there's a character here who's obviously a Saurian. And there's a story in here and I'm trying, you know, I stared at it. I'm like, Oh man, I got to make a story out of this. So again, some really good artwork of a Saurian um, looks like maybe a command officer, a con officer who is meeting somebody. And I wasn't sure if that was his child. Is that a half Saurian half human? I couldn't tell. Uh, it wasn't intended to be, but it certainly could be. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think the art brief specified what species the, the other people were. So, uh, 
Yeah, sure. If it if it works uh, works for you, by all means, make it a, make it a half human, half uh, I mean, half half anything, half Saurian. Sure. Yeah. So it la- it lands in the chapter on post war federation, which we know was a time yeah. of a lot of reconstruction in mm-hmm. the series. Correct. Yeah, because uh, I mean, you have to, and this is the this is the thing about the <laughs> the producers of the show. They probably don't. I mean, I don't want to say don't. They probably don't think too hard about the ramifications of the things that they're creating in the context of the bigger tapestry of, of Star Trek, right? They, they wanted to put together a great season. They, season two was fantastic, in my opinion. Um, but I don't know that they necessarily thought too hard, like, here's how we leave things at the end of season two of Discovery. How do we get from there in 10 years to what we see in the, in the original series, right? Like, you know, we don't have any sense that the original series had just experienced a war that brought them to their knees. They've got the fleet rebuilt. They've got new uniforms. They got all this stuff going on. So, like, how did how did we get from almost complete destruction of the Federation in less than a decade? We've rebuilt the fleet and we're off and running and we're exploring strange worlds with uh, Constitution class ships, right? So something had to happen, and we didn't know what it was. And of course, strange worlds haven't come out yet, so we had no idea what what it was. So my challenge, I think uh, Derek uh, Tyler Attico wrote most of this chapter, and and I think uh, Tilly and Susan did some of this as well. I was like, okay, we need to we need to bridge that gap. We need to explain how does the Federation get from getting their butts kicked by the Klingons in this war to things are in a much better position at the start of the original series. And so they they threw in you know some some stuff here, and uh, I think uh, Aaron Pelea helped out too because of course he was working on the Starships chapter and he had some ideas, some thoughts and ideas about how how it all came together. So they worked, you know, they all collectively worked as as yeah. a team, right? We were a team, right? So. I mean, and what I really liked was in chapter three, too, because if people pick up this this book, they have options of where they want to play in the timeline. And I really like that this chapter three talked about the post-war Federation campaigns. But what's even cooler and even not cooler, differently cool is the post-war Klingon campaign, because we know that some people are playing out that Klingon core rulebook right now. And so you could really choose which side of the issue you want to be on, depending on what kind of game you want. So I thought that was cool that both those suggestions were put in there about how to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think that's a, that's a fault on me that maybe I haven't been pushing the fact that this book is good for Federation and Klingon groups. I mean, I, I know I put it in the, in the back cover text and it's on the, it's on the fly sheet and all that stuff. But uh, I think um, the, those of you who are playing Klingon campaigns, there's a lot of meat in this book that you can really benefit from. Like there's a whole, the, the whole chapter on the, on the Klingons, could drop right into the Klingon core book because it, it just it meshes really nicely just the way we wrote it, uh, and then all this stuff about the post-war Klingon Empire, like the, the Klingon Empire is up at the end of the war. They are in a good place, you know, getting under um, the chancellorship of uh, Laurel, and with all those with the new D, the new D seven and all the other Kirk uh, uh, ships and stuff. So there's just a wealth of material here for Klingons. Um, so hopefully, folks, you know, think about that and use it. Um, so I, I probably need to work harder on pushing that button and say, hey, this discovery book, it's not just for Federation groups. It's also for Klingon groups. Um, and we'll probably talk about it later, but it's, it's also good for independence, right? Because yeah. this book came out after the Player's Guide and the Game Master Guide. And, and I knew in my head that this was the great opportunity for independent campaigns to take this book and go running with it, too. If you want to play a, a, a Harry Mudd kind of character or an independent trader or a mercenary or something like that beholden to neither the Federation nor the Klingons, you can make it work. There's enough content in here you can make it work. 
Well, I want to remind people too, Discovery had introduced the mycelial network. It, yeah. it introduced the Red Angel crisis. It introduced the Klingon time crystal. So mm -hmm. no matter what era you're in, if you really want to be there for a couple episodes of your game, there's a million excuses that are packed in um, to ways to get there, you know? So um, the fact that there's all these plot seeds in here about how to play in and around or suggestions on and prompts on how to play in and around the time period, I thought was good. And again, it really helped me understand the relevance of each one of these technologies or mm. anomalies that, that exist that are introduced in discovery. And again, the first time I saw it, there was so much packed into one episode. I would, by the next week, I forgot it. Yeah. I forgot it. And so streaming it with this helped me to recall, which was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, riffing off of that, it, uh, when I was, uh, when I was working on the outline for this book, I mean, I don't even remember when it was last year sometime, I guess. Um, it was funny. Cause like I was starting, I was working on the outline and like every time I rewatched the season, it was like, oh, I forgot this. No, I forgot that. And I forgot that. And I would keep adding to the outline, adding bullet points and bullet points and bullet points. Um, and then I invited the writers into the space and said, okay, here's the, here's the draft outline. What did I miss? Right. You know, collectively, what did I miss? And we just kept coming up with more and more stuff. And I, and I, and I sat back at one point, and I was like, oh man, there's so much stuff in the first two seasons of Discovery that, you know, don't really have anything to do with the story that they're telling, but it's all the contextual backstory stuff that they that they're peppering and they're dropping in and i was like man there's just a lot of content here i don't know if i can get this under 250 pages i'll have to try but we so we just you know, we kept throwing in bullet point after bullet point into that outline and yeah. uh it's just amazing just i mean I'm, I'm talking about the show not the book but there's just so much stuff packed into those first two seasons that if you, you have to watch it several times to really catch all the nuances uh that i mean i think no matter what you think of the characters or what you think of the actual storyline that they told on screen, like there's a wealth of material in, in that setting in those, in the, just those two years, 2256, yeah. 2257, 58, uh, that uh, a game master and a group of players could spend years just doing that, that period of time. I mean, for me, it really was overwhelming. I'm more, yeah. you know, strange new worlds voyage or pace where you sit there and you're like, Oh, I'm five minutes in and I completely understand the plot. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's my pace. And then 15 minutes yeah. in, I'm like, I still understand the plot. And then there's resolve at the end. That, that's yeah. what I'm used to, but very, very different. Different brain set. Um, of course, one of my favorite chapters in this is chapter four, which is about the Terran Empire. Of course, it's because I'm in love with Giorgio. And <laughs> and I don't know what it is about a bad woman, but man, they, they're my favorite in all kinds of movies and books. And like, you um, give me a woman that I'm intimidated and afraid of, and I'm going to follow them wherever, you know? Um, so I really appreciated all the details here. I, I would say that this was the most expansive section in any of the supplements about the mirror universe and the Terran empire. Wouldn't you say that? Uh, yeah, we talked about it a little bit in uh, the science book, I think, and uh, that was only a couple pages. So yeah, we, we were able to go into more detail here and uh and add some you know technology and some weapons and some and some toys to play with um but again it was uh it was it was the you know ask of the writer to uh you know connect the dots you know now we're talking about the mirror universe what happened in enterprise in those two episodes in enterprise where they visited the mirror universe and then tie it into what happened in discovery and then tie it into what happens in original series in ds9 and just try to give us a complete picture or not complete picture, but give us a strong picture of what what how it's all going on. Um, 
knowing that we can't go into a huge amount of detail. I mean, literally, we could write a whole book on the mirror universe, and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we will someday. But uh, no, no guarantees on that yet. <laughs> but yet, uh, yet, he said yet. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, but uh, there were what three or four episodes of season one of Discovery that they spent entirely in the mirror universe. So we had to pay some homage, to, or we had to pay some attention to it. And yeah. so uh, it wasn't as many pages as I would have wanted, but I think what we were able to put in here is pretty, pretty meaty. I think there's a lot of great content in here. Um, I mean, you had the mirror universe. Weapons and things for, I'm sorry. I mean, you added Terran weapons and technology in here. You know, I was looking at the active cam camouflage cape yeah. we saw, and I had forgot about it. I read this. I went, what? And I had to go find the episode. And mm -hmm. again, if you would have asked me after my first two watches, what were the special technologies and weapons we saw in Discovery Seasons 1 and 2? I couldn't have told you anything but an agony. <laughs> an agony uh, would have been it. So the yeah, fact yeah. that this was there, I was like, oh, man, I missed so much. I got to go back and look at it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so that was super cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. So now talk to us as, we, as we're getting through this and heading toward the last uh, chapters. We have new life path Options. This is something that almost every book does now. I've noticed any of these big supplement books. Um, what what options were here that may not be in any of the other books? Uh, well, obviously, there's some there's some new species that were presented in uh, in Discovery, and there were well known species that we just haven't had a chance to get to yet in terms of like presenting them as a player character. Race. So the Barzan, of course, they were in. Uh, uh, next generation they reappeared in discovery so of course that was an easy option especially because commander non was such a cool character and uh, i wanted to make sure we got the barzans in there the kelpians are original to discovery gotta have gotta have the kelpians in there uh because i'm reasonably confident that saru was not the last uh, or the only uh, kelpian in starfleet so gotta give them the, give that opportunity there uh the osnullis are of course original to discovery so i want to get that in there because they're, they're cool and different and uh, interesting, uh, the, the Zahians are a new species. And then of course the Saurians, we've always heard about Saurians, even from back in the original series, Saurian Brandy, all that stuff. Uh, but we've never really seen one well well realized on screen. Although I think the animated series may have had one, I don't remember now, probably. Um, and uh, Linus was such a cool character. It's like, well, you know, they're they're part of part and parcel of Starfleet, so let's get them in there too. And that, that had been on my list of species that I wanted to get into a book somewhere. Um, the discovery book came along and then of course uh you know we discovered that discovery characters they really embraced the um uh the cybernetic side of things right so they took the geordi concept to a whole new level with the implants and the and the prosthetics and the um even for like arium the full the full uh i want to pause on this because yeah. this when i saw this i was like wait a second and then i went back with the different set of lenses and look that there's even characters in the background that yeah. are cybernetic. And I'm like, whoa. And really the cybernetic characters start showing up in season two. Why? Because there were so many veterans of the season one wars. Sad to say, just like what happens in real war, people were taking injuries. Yeah. And so there's this weird time in Federation history where cybernetics, I mean, to me, I don't think there's a difference between a cybernetic and an augment, in my opinion. One's genetic and one's cybernetic. Mm. But but there, that must have been controversial. I'm like, ooh, I would have liked them to explore that more, like uh -huh. where this wave of cybernetic technology, surgery, alterations became 
an acceptable norm on these starships. And then you don't see it by the time you get to Kirk. Mm-hmm. It's not evident. So there must be a story there of where it got pulled back. Why? Yeah. Jim, that's a story that needs to be told. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't you think so? No, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, now that I think about it, I'm going to have to go rewatch Strange New Worlds because I don't think there's that many characters on Strange New Worlds that have implants. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. And now I'm going to have to go watch it because I I can't remember. (laughs) No, no, because I was thinking about that too, was why not? It's the same time period, basically. So where are those people? Something happened. And I could just see an epic movie where the cybernetics got under control. You know, control is in season two. So maybe something cybernetic happened where they're like, okay, let's reel this back. But either way, only because of this page 96 write-up, yeah, character option of cybernetically enhanced. Did I even go there? So that was that was cool. Mm-hmm. Again, Easter eggs are in here for the show. Oh, there's so much. There's so many Easter eggs in here. I mean, you got to watch the show. Watch the show and then read the book, and it'll just all pop out at you. I'm seriously. Yeah. And the one that scared me, of course, was Chocha and Klingon chop shops. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. This God. was a grizzly. It oh. was. I mean, I mean, you just watch the episodes with uh, with Voke getting uh, getting torn apart. And it's like, yeah. I just don't want to think about it. But uh, I, I'm sure there's players out there who are like, I'd like to do something like that, and they really put a new spin on it. And uh, like that whole body horror thing doesn't do it for me. But uh, if it, if it's your if it's your jam, then you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shame you for it. Put it in your game if that's what you want. But uh, we but I wanted to make sure that we had options. I want to make sure we put rules in there for it, or not rules, but you know guidelines. Um, just to give more more options to folks, and uh, hopefully, it's ever in my game. It's only because my players are going to shut it down because that is just <laughs> sick. All right, it reminded me of what they were doing to poor Icheb in Picard. You know, it's just another chop shop, yeah. a board chop shop. So yeah, yeah all right. I'm sad about that. The better for all you, for all you, for all you. I know we're all sad about Icheb. <laughs> I just I, I know. I'm not even. I'm not going to digress. I'll, I'll save it for another episode. Jim's pouring one out for each head. When, when we, yeah, when we, when we get around to talking about like writing, effective writing and scenes, and like when you're when you're running a when you're running a game session and you're you're getting down into the weeds of a scene that like intuitively you know doesn't add anything at all to the <laughs> to the story, like cut it and move on to the next thing. But how do you yeah, do that as a game master and a player, right? <laughs> Plus, I really loved each head. I just loved yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Okay. So moving yeah. on, um, chapter five gives us science and technology, um, all, everything you need to know about the sphere and the mycelial network. <gasps> and then all of a sudden, there's this huge Easter egg surprise on page 100, an inset box that for us who've been diehard STA fans for a long time, my heart left. So talk to us about what I'm geeking out over, Jim. Well, I mean, so this is this is uh, this is one of the places where um, I recognize that you know not only are we kind of like trying to adhere to canon and trying to be super respectful of the franchise, but we also need to be cognizant of all the stuff that we've done in the game up to date. And one of the main through lines for all of our products, uh, you know, directly or indirectly, has been the whole um, living campaign slash Till Call Saga slash, you know, Shackleton Expanse campaign. We've, I mean, we've been weaving that stuff into the game right from the very beginning uh, in the quick start and in the, uh, in the core book, right? There's a couple of uh, sidebars that very directly reference what's, what's doing. A lot of the artwork, you, you love the artwork. A lot of that artwork in the core book 
was very much directly, you know, directed to be part of the living campaign, part of the whole saga. And this was an opportunity where we were like, hey, you know what? <laughs> We've got this whole telecall thing that we that were making part of the game canon, if not clearly, you know, Star Trek canon. But we can we can honor both. We can put and combine them. And so this sidebar on 100, chapter or page 100, is uh, is just offering ideas on like how a game master and a group of players could take what we've seen in the show and combine what we're producing in the game and, and bring them together. Like, okay, how do you get the telecall involved with uh, with the sphere or with the mycelial network or like where you know how do you how do you, some ideas on how to combine them and. Uh, well, I'm going to give um, a shout out too. Yeah. I don't know if you caught this, so I'm sure you did, but I got to shout it out. So at the top, it says sphere data. That's obviously discovery. The Tillicall, that's obviously canon from Star Trek Adventures. That's Star Trek yep. Adventures canon. And then it says the Enlightened. I happen to have known who that was because Aaron Paulier wrote a module called Nest in the Dark. Yep. And it highlighted these characters that moved at computer speed and how they could look around quantum reality and quantum consciousness and so i was like no way they dropped a module reference in here and i just thought that was super cool because we actually played that campaign yeah, yeah, yeah it, 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 no no yeah. shock uh aaron wrote a chunk of this chapter so uh, of course he put reference in there so uh, yeah so we're referencing ourselves yeah. as well as referencing you know canon which i think is certainly appropriate because we're what i'm trying to do what i what i tried to do i'm pretty sure i did um is is we're not forcing people to go buy other stuff right we're just saying oh hey you know we referenced this in this other book you know but you don't need it <laughs> yeah it's nice to have if you want it but uh, we're just trying to bring it all together into a cohesive whole and make it look like we knew what we're doing <laughs> you did a good job and of course there's yeah. a lot of expansion on those digital cybernetics and cybernetics yeah. sense skin which which again i had missed till i read this i had to go back and watch discovery and be like oh man i completely missed that and then I know this was Aaron. Catastrophic organ and tissue replacement technologies, Coatart. <laughs> he makes up acronyms that are hard to pronounce. He loves his acronyms. He does. Yes, he does. Um, again, stuff on time crystals, uh, angel suits in your game. So, <clears throat> I mean, the technology here and then the gears and weapon, which follows it right after, it's so different than Starfleet, we know. The mirror universe or the Discovery Universe had all had a whole different level of technology. Um, some of it kind of ruthless, and I think it's because it's a wartime game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. They became much nicer by the time TNG came around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, finally, we close, uh, we, we not close out, but we get into starships and vessels. And um, this is an interesting chapter. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, this is... Uh... I'm I, I am grateful <laughs> to the to the producers because uh, in the they they made the effort in the first two seasons especially the first season uh, to uh, to include a whole bunch of new space frames uh, of uh, types of ships that we've never seen before or that we've seen before but in different kind of configurations and uh, by virtue of how awesome CGI technology is now and, and model making and all that stuff they were able to present some really cool new ships for the Federation and for the Klingons in uh, in season one and season two and uh, that was an opportunity for us to drop those right into the game because i know there's a huge portion of the star trek adventures fandom that is really into starships right mm-hmm. they want more starships they, they they grew up with the fossa game and they grew up with uh, the franz joseph technical manuals they got all these very interesting variations of starfleet starfleet and federation ships and they want more ships more more ships more ships yeah. 
and uh, I, I was able to uh, to uh, continue to build my relationship with uh, Thomas Marone over at uh, Star Trek Online. And I was like, hey, you know, or, you know, we, we got to talking and like uh, Star Trek Online has been around for a long time and they've got all the Discovery ships in there, mm. all the Klingon Discovery ships in there. And I was like, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to kind of like highlight your work and uh, and and use some of your artwork in our in our game. So let's really make an effort to uh, to like have Aaron write up the new ship space frames, like the, the Walker class, the McGee class, et cetera, et cetera. And let's pair up those descriptions with a piece of art right out of Star Trek Online, uh, which at this point, their their um, their technology, their their graphics artistry is so good now that it's it's almost screen screen perfect. Like like you could look at the pictures in here of our ships and like you'd have to really squint to see is that is that from the computer game or is it from the show? Is it from the you know, yeah. some of it's so good. Like the details that they're able to add to the ship the ships now. So uh yeah. My new favorite from this era is the Hiawatha class. Not only because Jet <laughs> Reno was on it, yeah. that helped, but I got to find some interior schematics. It is such a cool looking ship. And mm-hmm. um, it, you, can, you can see how it harkens the front piece to standard design. It's a medical frigate. But I, I'm like, again, I now want to play a game on this ship. So yeah. or maybe we'll find an old one in a, a lost era time. Maybe they'll be <laughs> drift, there drifting out there. Who knows? There you go. Cool. Um, of course, and then we have um, new, the space stations are listed here. And of course, the real fun part, I keep saying, of course, so I'm going to stop saying that. I won't say it for the rest of the, the podcast, are the Klingon ships, which look down and dirty and mean and ruthless and like fashioned razor blades. <laughs> what a different era for Klingon ships, right? Very different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Aaron uh, and we all worked on that. And we and I, I love the fact like I, I don't remember if it's actually from Canon or not, but that uh, he he took the idea that you know all these playing around and the Klingons just took them and adapted them. I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense to me. And uh, and and CBS was on board with that too. So that that kind of represents like all the crazy interesting ships that we saw from the Klingons all throughout the series. Uh, and then eventually they graduate uh, or they move on to the D seven so, original series. Educate me a little bit. So my I, my figure. My assumption was the different houses each had their own class of ship because since they weren't unified, they took wherever they can get their technology because there's not a standard design look to these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's reasonably accurate. It, it was kind of a hodgepodge catch, catch as catch can. And uh, of course, they had, they had some birds of prey, you know, early style birds of prey. But yeah, I think every house kind of like did their own thing. And uh, yeah. gradually they all kind of, came together under Laurel and, and, and took on as the, as the, um, the primary, you know, class of the, uh, of the empire. Yeah. It'd be more cost-effective to do that. You can't, you know, I feel sorry for the Nakej class cleave ship. It's like, it's like a one you ship and throw it away. It's like that Corvette cruiser, you know, in star Wars, you know, just ram into a ship and blow up in a planet. Right. Not very cost-effective. All right, cool. And of course, the ever famous sarcophagus ship, which was totally an interesting concept. So Klingon. I was like, that's so Klingon, that that idea there. And boy, that ship, I mean, the, the stats on these ships too, for those of you who play Star Trek Adventures, I mean, they're rolling tense co- challenge dice on some of these hit nine, 10. That's common for Klingon. So these are warships, that's for sure. All right. Again, a lot of other fighters are in here. Um, and then you added some more about Game Master in Chapter 7 as we come to 
nearing the conclusion, Jim. Um, some advice about planning missions and campaigns. Um, talk to us about if I'm a game master, what's my best use for this chapter? Uh, well, I mean, it's just really meant to give you more ideas on what to do in this particular setting, especially during a wartime situation. Um, you know, if you think about the, the Gamma Quadrant book where we really try to talk about the Dominion War and how that has an impact on characters and players who probably didn't join Starfleet to get into a war, right? They're scientists, they're explorers, they're discoverers. All of a sudden, you know, binary stars, they are no longer just scientists and explorers. They are now soldiers fighting this horrible war against the Klingons. How do you deal with and so this chapter kind of, and I had to split it into three, right? Because it was not just the Federation. We're talking about, here's how you can run a Federation campaign. Here's some ideas for running a Klingon campaign in this time period. And here's how to run an independence campaign in this time period. And I was really excited about that part because I knew that would directly tie into the player's guide because uh, of all those new uh, player roles that we uh, created for that, for non-Starfleet, non-Klingon. Right. Um, but, I, you know, again, this is, this is really a Game Master Toolkit chapter. Uh, again, it's me. It's me just dumping as many tools as I can into your toolbox and say, look, please, here's here's the ideas that we can come up with, which, you know, sometimes is kind of the low hanging fruit that is like, here's the easy options that we can throw at you. But here's some more deeper ones that you can think about. Um, so hopefully a game master will look at this and be like, well, OK, Discovery, uh, you know, season one, what kind of stories can I tell? You know, grab grab some of the paragraphs out of here and just uh, see if anything sparks an idea, because that was that's the whole purpose is to like, what kind of ideas can you can you generate just by just by flipping through this? Yeah, and like you did in the Klingon core rulebook, the mission brief, there's additional mission briefs here. So again, if you need yeah. some ideas of what missions could look like in this time period, it's mm -hmm. there. As is traditional with a lot of the other books, you also have the allies and adversaries. Um, so you can introduce the guest star, in, introduce guest stars, common popular characters, which yep. is great. Um, and one more time, you besides mission briefs, you have a mini campaign written in here too. Do you recall who wrote the mini campaign? Uh, yeah, uh, Fred Love wrote the first part, and Chris McCarver wrote the second part, and uh, Allison, I think the last name is Cybe, C Y B E. I, I'm not sure how, not sure how it's pronounced. I'll have to um, ask her next time I talk to her. But uh, it's short yeah. for cybernetic. Maybe I, I don't know, uh, but but yeah, Fred, Fred, Chris, and uh, Allison wrote the wrote the three parts of this uh, of this mini campaign, which um, are are kind of like woven into the war and the post war, but don't directly you you don't have to you don't have to have watched the show to be able to play the mini game the mini campaign. It, you can just you know do whatever you want with it, and we included guidance as to how to adapt it for a Federation or Klingon or independent campaign. So you can use it for you know literally anything. Yeah, I'm looking just so everyone knows when I'm look. I look at any model module. I don't care what era it is, yeah. and I scrape it for the plot. And I'm really looking like, oh, I can adapt this here, here, and here because they just are highly great ways to drag your players into a story. Um, mm -hmm. So don't be looking for something that matches perfectly your game. You're going to ruin yourself every time. Go and capture the flavor. Um, we've talked about taking a module and reverse engineering it into a mission brief. And people are even talking about now taking mission briefs and reverse engineering those into expanding them into modules. So learn how to look at that three act, um, three act uh, construct of stories when you're looking at these modules and take what you need out of it. Um, from the book, you can get the technology, the artwork, schematics, whatever, you know. Absolutely. 
anything else to say about the discovery guide? Uh, I mean, gosh, there's so much content in here. It's just, you know, don't, don't try to read it cover to cover. Just, you know, pick chapters, pick sub chapters and just enjoy. I think if nothing else, like if you are a game master or a player and you're really looking for ideas, like seriously, read, read the, read the starship um, descriptions that Aaron came up with because he packs so much cool detail into every one of these starship descriptions. Like, I mean, I'm reading like every, I, 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 I caught myself doing this when I was uh, editing this, this book. Cause like his, his uh, starship descriptions just go on and on and on all this great detail. He's just dropping in there. And every single time I, I, I will not lie to you. Every single time I started reading one of his starship descriptions for like, you know, the, um, the Cardanus class or the McGee class or whatever, like I would get two or three paragraphs into it and I would have to stop because I, because I had so many ideas coming off my head. It's like, Oh, I want to run a campaign with this, with this space frame or this space frame, or I want to have this ship involved in my game. And I want to do this with this thing. Cause there's, there's just so many cool little ideas that he drops into the descriptions that it's like, man, I, I want to run 30 different campaigns right now. I, told, I, I, <laughs> I just I, don't have the time. <laughs> I'll say it now. I'll say it again. I can't tell you how much I cut and paste. Cause I play on discord with our group. Yeah. And I'll see a line, like, say, for instance, if we were at the fleet logistical strong point, and maybe it's the first time the crew has gotten there, I will have an ambassador meet them and say, as you're walking down the corridor, he explains to you thousands of metric tons of water, food, repair materials, uniforms, and hand weapons were stored here uh, at each of these hard points available for any ship ship to gain access to. And I'll have them talk and give me that babble. And I use these books all the time for that. When I'm like, I don't have time to sit here and try to make up techno babble. Let me just cut pace and tweak it a little bit to make it conversational. And it saves my life as a game master. And it creates such a rich environment for the players. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so yeah, I, I guess if, if I had, if I needed to put a last word in here, it'd be like, even if you, even if you didn't love the characters of the story of discovery, if you like the setting, you grab this book because there's just so much content in here that you can use in your game. And uh, I think we've talked about this before too, is um, if you're a fan of the game, right? And you bought into it and you've got some of the other supplements, like think of how you could combine discovery with something else, like mm-hmm. combine discovery with the player's guide, combine discovery with the Shackleton book, combine discovery with uh, the beta project book, I don't know. And just like think of ways that you can interweave all the different tools that we're throwing at you and, and just come up with your own cool, you know, Star Trek stories. That's it. You know, I'm always like, if you don't like it, write one better. And how do you write one better? Play RPG. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, and, and don't sit there complaining. Go ahead. <laughs> Blow us away. Show us how you, how you would have done it. That's my exactly. challenge for everyone. Absolutely. RPG is, is, I mean, seriously, it's, it's such a value for the dollar on the books that you're buying. And uh, it's just like, it's, it's your imagination. How, how expansive is your imagination? And how much can we spark your imagination by throwing all these ideas at you? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right, Mike. Instead of getting on, getting online and complaining about how much you hate discovery, then go make, go make a better story. We're giving you the tools. Go do it. And (laughs) and then if you want to get on social media and post your stories, continuing missions always loves play reports. And you know what? Let's see if you can get a bigger following. I don't know. Maybe you will. Hopefully you you will, you know, but, but people do want to read stuff for fans out there. I know it, you know, we get attached to our characters and the stories. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of us, I notice, are nostalgically attached to Star Trek feel good in a world where there's so much negativity to be able to watch an episode with a happy ending. You may not realize it, but your brain's picking up on that. It wants that connection. So, so um, have fun with it. Don't get negative about the game. Make it still one of the best things in your life if you can, you know? No. All right. Um, I'm going to give right. some shout outs to game stores as per our tradition. Um, I have Casey Handel, who wanted me to shout out Imperial Outpost Games in Glendale, Arizona. He says it's the best shop in town. And then a few of these we've mentioned before, but I'm going to mention them again because the fans love them. Michael Rogers, Curious Comics in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. That must be like the most beautiful game shop in the world because I love Victoria. I hope they have a view of the bay. Um, And then Third Eye Comics in Annapolis, Maryland. Frank Pennaud Jr. wanted to shout that one out. Finally, one last one, Nick Pike, Experience Point, Experience Point in Portland, Oregon. Okay, so these are all the game shops which we love that people walk in. Maybe they did Free RPG Day uh, this past weekend. And um, I, I saw plenty of social media posts where people played the game and then went and picked up the book. So awesome. um, that's how addictive Star Trek Adventures is. Jim, you want to take us out? Uh, yeah, just a shout out and thank you to in the, the first two seasons of Discovery, the whole production team, writers, staff, uh, designers, developers, everything, because uh, um, you know we took all that, all the hard work that you did, and we found a way to condense it down into 228 pages. <laughs> and hopefully, we did you good. But uh, uh, we'll, we'll let the fans be the judge of that. But uh, thank you all for all your hard work. It's super, super appreciated. Oh, you're on mute, my man. Thank you. Please discover Discovery if you choose to, a new universe of action. And uh, me and Jim will be back with fantastic new announcements and other reviews of other supplements and stuff all you fans talk about all day long. It makes the More show. to come. All right. IDIC, two-handed. Oh, did you catch that? Live long and prosper. Be safe, be well. We'll talk to you next time.